Amen. Brothers and sisters, please do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Please give your attention to the reading of God's We'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our for church has been small and up and down, out for my but overall things have been tight financially, and, and the, the church has been small. Jesus Christ, now, by the grace of God, to my growing, expectation we believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Boldness, our current always, building only so seats now 72. Christ we cannot fit any more seats if we fill every single one. Every Lord's Day, we would have no more than 72. The plan is for our new building to more than double the capacity but if and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want it to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it, and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, in Jesus this is a very dark by place. My coming to you uh, there is a again. great need for the light of the gospel to shine, particularly Amen. in this sisters, place. Far the reading of God's word through the preaching of the word. Be seated. And so, if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving Let's a financial gift to the center. You can word. give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You oh, can Father. also give by Zelle by sending the money to you at gmail.com with building fund in the memo May God bless you with so a greater knowledge so of his word who are able and to follow for his examples. We look at our own lives and we see such weakness, O oh God, and such a, a, a wide difference between us and what we see in the Apostle Paul here. Grants, Lord, that even as these things are written for our, for our edification, they're written for our imitation, as the Apostle Paul even explicitly says later on in the same letter. Lord, grant to us the grace that we might live for Christ and that for us death might be gain. For we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And well, brothers and sisters, if I were to ask what is the, the greatest fear that people face in life, uh, perhaps many different answers could be given, but for many, uh, probably most, the answer would be death. Death is the thing that is uh, very often the greatest fear that people have. It is something that we cannot escape. Isaiah, Isaiah calls it in Isaiah 25, the, the veil that is cast over all people. Is a veil that is cast over all people, and, and people try different things to get get around this fear of death. Many people will try not to, to think about it. They'll just uh, you know busy themselves with, with other things, and they will try to just distract themselves uh, to the end of their lives, pursue various pleasures, live as if they're not going to die. Uh, and th this is the way that which they cope with this fear. Uh, others will say that it's you know it's rude to, to talk to about the uh, a person's impending death to speak about the reality of death, and yet even though people might think these things, none of this actually solves the problem. The reality is, is that all of us will die. It is something that is that overshadows all of us. As Isaiah says, it is the veil that is cast all around us, and therefore it is foolish for us uh, not to prepare for our death. It's foolish for us not to think about it. And, you know, though people may try to put it aside, if you've ever been to a funeral, you'll know that you can do this until you come to something like a funeral. If someone you, you love dies and 
then all of a sudden you have to think about it. there's no way around it you are confronted with the reality of your uh, of your mortality uh, there is a, a very famous epitaph that is used on the graves of of so many and it says this uh, remember friend as you walk by as you are now so once was i as i am now so you will surely be prepare thyself to follow me it is it is the most foolish thing in in the world for us if we do not prepare ourselves for death if we do not prepare for our death and that that means that we must face the the fear of death the the, the reality of it and we need to prepare ourselves for it now that uh, what I've said to this point doesn't in any way give the solution to how we are to uh, think about this, but we have in the scriptures very wondrously the Apostle Paul here in this very passage who gives us an insight into his own mind as he thinks about his own death. You remember, in terms of the context, he is, he is writing this letter from prison. He is suffering for the sake of the gospel. And he doesn't know, he, he, he believes, we, we, we know from other parts in the letter that he believes he'll probably be let out at this point, and yet he doesn't know ultimately whether or not he's going to live or die uh, from, this, uh, from this situation that he has uh, in prison. And in this situation, he becomes very open about how he is thinking about the end of his life. And this is the context where we get this wondrous statement that he makes, which is really the key to the whole passage, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And brothers and sisters, uh, this was written by the Apostle Paul to be something that we are to imitate. We are to imitate. If we are to live, we ought to use our lives for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And if we are to die, we are to have always in our minds the reality that our death means immediate blessing in the presence of Christ himself. And therefore, even to depart from this life, is better uh, by far. So we'll look at this passage then under two headings. We'll consider first uh, Paul's current situation as he understands it, as he, he's, he's pleading, he's, he's, he's uh, hoping that and praying that he will, uh, that Christ will be magnified whether by life or by death in verses 19 and 20. And then that leads to, and then in verses 21 through 26, this, this great decision between life and death where Paul weighs the two options when he, he teaches us how we are to think about our lives and then also how we are to think about uh, our death, showing us that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now look with me then again at verse 19 to, through 20. Now, as we think about where we are in this particular epistle, uh, you'll note, you'll remember that last week we looked at verses 12 through 18. We saw Paul was giving an update to the Philippians about his sufferings and how he was thrown into prison and how he's saying that he's actually rejoicing greatly because all the things that have happened to him have actually turned out for the advancement of the gospel. And we saw how last week for Paul, that was all that he needed to know to be encouraged about his sufferings. He was betrayed by those who were close to him. He was left in prison. So suffering from, from uh, outside, uh, betrayal from inside. And yet he sees that all that has happened has advanced the gospel. And therefore he says, this is actually a reason for great rejoicing, and he calls on the Philippians to rejoice with him. Now, in verses 19 through 26, Paul is continuing basically his update to the Philippians about, uh, about his situation. But in verses 19 through 26, he moves from speaking about um, his current situation in terms of what's happened to him all the way up to the present moment to speaking about what may happen to him in the near future. 
And so he's saying, you know, I'm, I'm in prison now, but this, this is what I hope will happen as a result of my imprisonment. And he gives us this brief update in verses 19 and 20. You'll notice then uh, in verse 19, he makes this statement, for I know that this, so this, that, that, the, the this in that sentence refers to his imprisonment. So I know that this, this imprisonment, this is the thing he's been talking about in verses 12 through 18, will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, immediately, there's a, a, an important question about the text. And that is, what is meant by my deliverance? Now, as this is translated, we, we're, we're kind of getting the, uh, the interpretation of the translators here. And yet, it's not so clear that um, deliverance from death is the thing that is meant in verse 19. In the original, the word my is not there, and the word deliverance is the same word as salvation. So if you were to, to translate verse 19 literally, it would be, for I know that this will turn out for salvation. It will turn out for salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now the question then is, is does salvation there, does it mean Paul's own deliverance from prison, or does it mean something different? And I'm going to argue that it actually means something different. It actually is referring to the spiritual salvation that comes through conversions. Paul, what Paul is really saying here is that I believe that this imprisonment will turn out for a greater work of salvation in the lives of others. Now, the reason why this is the, the better understanding of verse 19 is because you'll note the way Paul continues in verse 20. So he says, I, I, know, I know that this will turn out for salvation according to, so this is where it's important to keep track of Paul's long sentences and the, the logic of them, according to my earnest expectation and hope, so that the salvation is according to this expectation and hope, that first negatively and then positively, in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body. Notice this last line, whether by life or by death, the salvation will happen according to his expectation of Christ's glorification, either in life or death. Now, it'd be a strange thing for Paul to say that I know that I'll be released from prison according to my expectation that Christ will be magnified even in my death. The, the point is, is that Paul is saying, I may live, I may die, but either way, I know that this will turn out for salvation. That's to say, the salvation that, that could be received could be received even if Paul dies. Now, that, that's what Paul is saying in verse 19. And therefore, we have to understand that Paul is speaking about a, a, a spiritual salvation, not just a deliverance uh, from death uh, itself. He's speaking about the effects of his suffering. I know, even as this has been used for the advancement of the gospel, I know that it will continue to be used for salvation. And you'll notice that just as we saw in verses 12 through 18 then, that for Paul, he is suffering greatly, and yet for him, the only thing he's focused on in the passage is whether or not what is happening to him is being used for the advancement of Christ's kingdom. And for him, there is this there is this razor focus on the advancement of Christ's kingdom. And for him, if anything happens that will advance the kingdom of Christ, for him, it's a reason for rejoicing. It doesn't matter what else happens to him. If he has merely the consolation that this was used for the sake of the advancement of Christ's kingdom, then he is happy. And now what he's saying is, is not only has this been the case to this point, but I am very confident, he says, that according to your prayers and according to the supply of the Spirit, that there will be more salvation that will come through the suffering, that whether or not I live or 
die, that Christ will be magnified in my body and salvation will be the result. And therefore, even as I am facing this, even as I think about all the things that I've suffered to this point, as I think about what is coming for me in the future, I am confident that this will turn out for salvation. And that is the thing that matters to me. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying in verses 19 and 20. And brothers and sisters, it is just another reminder of our, of our need to have this same kind of focus, this same kind of zeal for the advancement of the kingdom of God. When we suffer, when we suffer, there are all kinds of concerns that we have, all kinds of valid concerns even. It's not to say that we, we don't, uh, we're, we're no longer concerned about things like our health or that sort of thing. It's not that we're not concerned about those things, but, but is there in all of your troubles and difficulties this zeal that you're, you're always thinking, how is it that this is being used by God for the advancement of his kingdom? And is there the same kind of rejoicing with the Apostle Paul that when something happens that is a terrible difficulty and yet it is used for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God that, that you say, this is everything I've hoped for. Whatever I suffer in this life, what, I, what I've really hoped for is that this would be used by God to advance his kingdom. That is what the Apostle Paul seeks and desires in all of his sufferings, and that is what we are to seek in all of our sufferings as well. Now, you'll notice that there are uh, two things that could be the, you could call them the means by which this is to come about. And uh, those are given in verse 19, through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So those two things. You'll note first then the, 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 the prayer. Paul is saying Therefore, in, in, this, in, in this context, um, he, he believes that the Philippians are going to pray for him. And implicitly, he is telling us what kind of prayer he desires that the Philippians pray on his behalf. And that is for the sake of salvation. Pray that whatever happens to me, that Christ may be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Pray that whatever happens to me in this prison, that God would use it for the advancement of the kingdom, even as he has to this point. And he believes uh, not only that the Philippians will pray for him, he's, and he's directing them to pray for this particular thing more even than his, his uh, freedom or anything else, his safety. He, he also believes that God will use that prayer to that end. He, he believes that God will hear the prayer for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom and that uh, therefore, uh, according to his earnest expectation and his hope, that, uh, that the kingdom of God will be advanced uh, in his suffering. You'll notice the other, th so, in, so brothers and sisters, what, 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 what this means for us then is as we think about our own sufferings, again, it's not to say that we don't uh, pray for things like healing and, and those sorts of things. We, we, should, we should pray for all, all manner of things, as is very clear from the scriptures. And yet, also in all of our sufferings, the first concern, the first con concern should be the advancement of the kingdom of God, the advancement of the kingdom of God. Of God, and may it be that even as we think about, you know, things like taking prayer requests on Wednesdays, may, may it be that as we think about all the, the troubles that we are going through, all the, the difficulties, may it be that our prayers would be, and Lord, whatever happens, whether in life or death, that you would advance your kingdom. That 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 those are the kind of prayers uh, that we need, and that is that that are pleasing to God. You'll notice the other means is said is by the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, even Paul recognizes that he needs the spirit of Jesus Christ. And if Paul, how much more you and I, as we think about our own weakness, surely uh, Paul would have thought about this in, in prison. 
uh, in all sufferings, all suffering reveals the weakness uh, that we have remaining in our hearts. And the scriptures are not full of exhortations whereby it says, you know, you, you, you just have to be able to be strong on your own to be able to get through these sufferings and tribulations and, and trials. The scriptures make, make it very clear that, and that recognize, God knows that we are weak. He knows we are weak. When we suffer and we feel our own weakness and we think, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And I don't know how I can have this kind of attitude that the Apostle Paul has. Brothers and sisters, that's not unique. It's not unique. All of us are like that. All of us have the same weakness. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is I believe that this will turn out for salvation through your prayers and by the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, by which those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are strengthened for the moment of suffering that they might honor God in their bodies, whether by life or by death. And so, brothers and sisters, let us, let us think about, as we, as, as we think about whatever suffering we might be going through, as the Apostle Paul is going through his sufferings here, let, let us remember that when we are fearful, when you see the weakness, to know that this is, this is not something unusual. Everyone, everyone feels the same weakness because everyone is in need of the supply of the Spirit. Even the Apostle Paul says, I will be, I, this will turn out for salvation through your prayer and through the supply of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our great need. Now, uh, as I uh, have said, uh, the, Paul's expectation, so the, the defining of the salvation, what, 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 what he's really hoping for is for the magnification, the, the, uh, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll note that this is said in verse 20 in two ways. First, he says, it's my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. So that's the, the negative, the thing he does not hope for. And then secondly, that with all boldness, as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, you'll notice he prays that he would not be ashamed. Now, this is an interesting thing to, to say that he hopes for, because there is a natural shame in being in a prison. And this is something that Paul is not uh, unaware of. Um, in 2 Timothy 1, verses 15 and 16, he speaks about uh, those who have abandoned him, uh, who, uh, who abandoned him while he was in prison. He gives ex exhortations in other places, uh, places to the churches not to be ashamed of his chains. And what he's recognizing there is that there is something inherently shameful about chains. That um, We see this, I mentioned last week as well, this is something that we need to be thinking about as a church, that when Christians are persecuted, there's always a temptation for us to try to, to critique those who are persecuted rather than uh, out of a, a, a desire to distance ourselves subtly from those who are so suffering. Uh, and and what, the, what the Apostle Paul here is, is, is speaking about is that there is this shame. But I, that is actually not the shame that he is speaking about in verse 20 in particular. So he, this is a shame that he was not unaware of. He, he felt it because people left him because of it. People abandoned him. And yet... It's, it's clearly uh, not the shame that he is speaking about because its opposite is the magnification of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, other people may be ashamed of his chains. Paul's not ashamed of his chains. He's not worried about being ashamed of his chains. That, that much is clear. What he's concerned about is being ashamed of Christ. That even, even when he has the inherent shame of others turning away from him as being, uh, from being in chains, what he, what he really cares about, what he would really, what would really um, cause his heart to fail would be the idea that he would become ashamed of his Savior who loved him, who bought him, 
and who has given so much for him. And so he's saying, you know, I, it is my eager expectation and my hope that in nothing will I be ashamed, but that rather that Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. And brothers and sisters, this is the kind of thing that we see all throughout the history of the church as well, in terms of, uh, in terms of those who have given their lives for the sake of the faith. Uh, in the second century, Polycarp was one of the famous martyrs, and he was arrested. He was very, very old. And uh, people came in to arrest him. He sat in his house very quietly and very calmly and spoke with those who captured him. He was then brought before the proconsul, and there, were, there was a large crowd, and he was asked to curse Christ. And the, the proconsul said, you know, Polycarp, you're an old man. Don't, don't suffer. If you, just, if you just, just declare that you're not a Christian and just renounce Christ, and then you will be, uh, you'll be fine. We'll let you go. And in that moment, there is this, this option. Will Christ be honored, or will Polycarp be ashamed of Christ? Will he be ashamed of Christ? That's, that's really the question that Paul is speaking about. And that was what, what, what is before every martyr who's ever died in the history of the church. And his response that he gives is this. He says, for 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How could I curse my king who saved me? How, how can I do it? How could I be ashamed of my king and therefore turn away from him? Uh, another example of, a, of someone who died for the sake of Christ uh, is given to us uh, by Daubigny in his, his history of the Reformation in Europe in the time of Calvin. He speaks of a, of a monk who was uh, converted and then began to go by the name Alexander. He would preach in various uh, parts of, uh, of uh, certain cities in, in France, and uh, nobody could find him. The, 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 the Catholics were very much against the, the, the Christians at this point. They were uh, seizing them and arresting them in various points, and, and this person was able to uh, go in and out of various places. He would preach in one place. His friends would surround him. He would immediately leave, and nobody knew what he looked like because those who were the Catholics, you know, they don't have pictures uh, of people back then, so he would just leave before anyone could recognize recognize him or understand who he, who he was. And in this way, he preached to many people. He actually even preached. He actually even went into a prison where people had been arrested for preaching the gospel and no one laid their hands on him. No, uh, no one could figure out who he was. Eventually, though, he was discovered and he was uh, arrested. He was tried. He was, he, he was condemned to death. And while he was, he was arrested, he was being uh, transported to the prison. He strikes up a conversation with those who were bringing him to the prison. Uh, and, and some of the guards were then converted. Uh, all throughout his time in prison, others were converted. Eventually, though, he was condemned to death. He was brutally tortured to the point of becoming crippled. And then he was condemned to being burned at the stake. And in that context, then de writes this about the end of his life. He says, then seized with a holy enthusiasm, Alexander confessed with great vehemence and vivacity of mind the Savior whom he loved so much and for whom he was condemned to die. And then here's, here's what Alexander said in his death. Yes, he exclaimed, Jesus, our only Redeemer, suffered death to ransom us to God his Father. I have said it and I say it again, O ye Christians who stand around me, pray to God that as his son Jesus Christ died for me, he will give me grace to die now for him. And that is the sort of thing, that, that's, that faithfulness in death, pray now. What, what, what kind of prayer do I desire that you make on my behalf? The answer that is given is, pray now that as Christ died for me, that I would be granted the grace 
to die now for him. For, for him, this was it's the same thing that the Apostle Paul is speaking of. I desire, whether by life or by death, that, that I would not be put to shame, that I would not be ashamed of another, namely the Lord Jesus Christ, but that Christ would be magnified in me. Such is the earnest expectation of the Apostle Paul and of those who have followed in his footsteps throughout the history of the church. And the, the, the thing that is really underlying this sort of disposition in the Apostle Paul is what we have in verses 21 through 26, where the Apostle Paul gives us, a, a, again, a window into his mind as to, to why he thinks the way he does. What, what sort of value does he place on life and on death? How does he think about these things? And we have the, basically the thesis of what he's saying is in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. These two things, or there are these two options, there's life and death. And if I live Christ, if I die, it is gain. As one commentator says about to live is Christ, he says, for to me to live is Christ, the preaching of Christ, the business of my life, the presence of Christ, the cheer of my life, the image of Christ, the crown of my life, the spirit of Christ, the life of my life, the love of Christ, the power of my life, the will of Christ, the law of my life, and the glory of Christ, the end of my life. Christ was the absorbing element of his life. If he traveled, it was on Christ's errand. If he suffered, it was in Christ's service. When he spoke, his theme was Christ. When he wrote, Christ filled his letters. Brothers and sisters, this was the life of the Apostle Paul. This is not something that he just declared and said, but this we can see throughout his actual uh, actions, it, it, the things that he wrote, the things that he did. This truly is a good description of the life of the Apostle Paul. For, for Paul to live is Christ. For Paul to live is Christ. He is always living for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. And then secondly then, for him, therefore, to die is gain. Now, in, in what way is, is death gain? The answer is, is because in death, there is a closer communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what the Apostle Paul even speaks about in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 6. He speaks about uh, the death, the, the, the desire to depart, to be with Christ, uh, not that we might be found naked, but that we, that we might even be further clothed. The idea is that there is actually a glory that we will take on ourselves when we die. Not, not there speaking about the resurrection, uh, speaking about the, the, the time with Christ. Uh, when uh, immediately following death, the same thing that he is speaking of here. And brothers and sisters, as we think about the first question that was asked, how are we to think about death? How are we to think about death? This is the answer. This is the answer. How do you prepare yourself to, uh, to, to die? The answer is, is you must, you must have this zeal for Christ and this desire to be with him. And the greater that desire is to be with Christ, the, 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 the less the, the natural pain and fear of death will control your life. Now, it's not to say that those things will com completely go away uh, in the sense that, you know, no one wants to suffer. Uh, the end of, the, of life is, is almost always accompanied by some sort of suffering. Uh, you know, very few will, will die so immediately that, that there's no suffering. Uh, there, there is a, a natural fear that comes with that. Uh, there is an unnaturalness to death in the sense that, you know, we are putting off our bodies and uh, God made us to be body and soul. And this is the reason why the hope of the gospel is not just being with Christ in heaven, but that there is a resurrection. Even those who die and are in heaven are awaiting the resurrection because there is something right and good about us being united with our bodies. So to give all those qualifications and all those things are true, um, there is still, there's always going to be some kind of unnaturalness to death, some kind of bad with regard to death. 
And yet, given, given all the qualifications and given all the kinds of things we, we might say about death, still, what the Apostle Paul is saying is, is, is you know, you could, you could put all those negatives on one side, but the positive is I'm with Christ. The positive is I'm with Christ, and therefore, it is better by far. There is, there is going to be, even Christ is with us now, yet what is promised in the gospel is that when we die, there will be a new fruition and enjoyment of the glory of Christ and communion with Him that we will never know on this earth until He returns with all of His angels. And if we have that, if that is what's promised us, if that's what comes the moment we die, that that's what comes for us, then what Paul says is to die is gain, to die is gain, because I know that that is in fact what, uh, what I have. Now, as we think about these two things, uh, one important thing to note is that these two things go together. To live is, to, is Christ and to die is gain. You, you, you may say, you know, I, I still fear death and I know the truth of the gospel with regard to my being with Christ and yet there's still this, this fear that seems to be overwhelming. And if you were to ask, you know, what, what can I do to um, really be able to have the mind of the Apostle Paul to say to live is Christ and to die is gain? And the answer I would say is, the thing I would say, there's lots of things you could say, but in, in terms of in light of this passage, those who live more for Christ are those who see dying as more gain. If, if you do not, if you're not really living for Christ, if you're saying, you know, I'm a Christian, but, you know, um, my whole life is not Christ. I, I have this thing I care about. I have this thing that I care about in this world. Th those who have that disposition, yeah, for them, it's going to be hard for them to see that death is gain. You are actually giving those things up. Those, but, but those who have this burning zeal, for the advancement of the kingdom of God and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more that is inflamed in your heart, then the more you will see that to die is gain. And, and even vice versa, the same thing is true. The more you have this great zeal to be with Christ and to commune with Him, the, the more that the communion with Christ fills all of your thoughts and your heart, the, the, the more that that happens, the more also you will be encouraged to live for Christ, that your life will be more and more all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we think about then the, this idea of the fear of death, what are you to do? The answer is you are to live for Christ. If you live for Christ, then you will find death to be sweet because in that death, you then will be with him. Now, uh, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, to live as Christ and to die as gain. And he goes on then to speak about these two potential options, and he gives something of his, of his thinking about each of them, the reason why he would choose one over the other. He says he's, you know, he's hard-pressed between the two. And yet, you'll notice that ultimately, though he says that uh, to die is to be better, is better by far uh, even, he actually says that he would rather remain in the flesh because it is more needful for you. The idea there, and this is going back to what he says then in verse, uh, in verse 22, if I go on living the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Uh, Paul has made Christ his life, and therefore everything he does is labor for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom. He knows, therefore, that if he remains, that it will mean greater labor. It will mean greater labor for the advancement of the kingdom of God. And yet, though, so though he desires to depart and to be with Christ, yet he knows that it will be better for the church if he remains behind and serves him. Now, a few things then about this service. You'll notice what, what Paul says 
is for me to live as Christ. And yet, when he explains what it means, when he says to live as Christ, then he gives a number of things about why he would choose to live, to continue to live. You'll notice that everything is actually about the church. That, that actually nothing after that is about, um, about Christ directly. It's, it's, I know I can it'll be fruitful labor because I'll preach the gospel to you. I'll edify you. I'll be able to build you up. And what Paul is recognizing, therefore, is that the service of the church is to live for Christ. Now, those two things cannot be divorced. If you were to ask, you know, what can I do to live for Christ? If I'm going to say I'm going to make my whole life be about Christ, this leads to a question. Christ is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. He is reigning. What, what can you do to serve him? What, what can you actually do? And what the Apostle Paul is recognizing is, is that the thing that you can actually do to serve Christ is to serve his bride while he is gone. That is the thing that you can do. So if you, if you want to say, I, I would like for my life to be all about the Lord Jesus Christ, what, what should I do practically? The answer is, you should give yourself for the sake of the edification of your brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. If you love the bridegroom, display your love for him while he's away by caring for his bride. That is what you are to do. And that's what, what, that, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. It is more needful for you, for me to live for Christ here on this earth. Therefore, I will give myself for your joy and for your growth in grace, for your growth in the Spirit. I will give myself for the sake of the advancement of the church. And therefore, brothers and sisters, even as we think about this idea of, of, of thinking about growing and living for Christ, that you might grow in seeing dying being gained, what practically are you to do? The answer is you are to grow in your love for the church with all of her weaknesses, making no excuse, excuses for, uh, for any lack of service. You know, some people will say, you know, I, I left the church. I don't want to serve the church because the church is full of hypocrites or whatever else. There's weakness. This person sins and, and whatever else. But that's not what the Apostle Paul says. He knows all that. He's, he's writing to, to convict of sin all over the place. What, but what he is saying is because I will serve the church, not because there is a, a kind of worthiness in the church in itself, but because the church is loved by Christ. The church is loved by Christ. Therefore, because I love Christ, I serve the church. If, if Christ, which this is what the New Testament teaches in various places, if Christ counts anything done to his people as being done to himself, then the way to serve Christ is to serve the church. And therefore, I will give myself to this end. And so that's what he says. He says, I'm, I would prefer even to, uh, to, to uh, continue in this world uh, for the sake of the service of the church. And he says then, you know, uh, there, there, will be, there are benefits of dying. I will immediately be with, with Christ, contra the idea of, of soul sleep. What he's saying is there will be a, immediately, in a way different than the resurrection, a, an apprehension of Christ. Contra to purgatory, he understands that it will be immediate. Contrary to the idea that there can be no assurance of salvation, Paul, uh, Paul, who is always writing as an example for us to imitate, knows where he will be when he dies. He knows that there will be this, this great benefit to him when he dies because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's cast himself upon Christ. He knows that his soul has been saved. He knows that this salvation is stronger than the grave. He knows he will be with Christ and therefore he has this assurance and yet he desires to be, uh, to stay on the earth that the church might be advanced. Brothers and sisters, this is this is to be uh, our focus as well. 
This is to be, remember that these things were written, the Apostle Paul is always writing, for us to be imitators of him. And even as he says that in the end of Romans 8, that nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ, one of the things he says is that not even life or death, we will be with Christ forever. And this is to be, therefore, the truth that grounds us in all of our thoughts about life and death. God uses even our death for our good, that we might enjoy him forever. And it's in light of all of these truths that Calvin has, uh, has said in the Institutes, and he gives all the same qualifications, you know, about the unnaturalness of death and whatever else, the, the reality of suffering. So with all those qualifications in place, yet he concludes in light of the, the great desire that we, that we ought to have to be with Christ at our death, he says, um, this, however, let us hold us fixed that no man has made much progress in the school of Christ who does not look forward with joy to the day of death and the final resurrection. No man has made much progress in the school of Christ who does not look forward with joy to the day of death and the final resurrection, who, does not, who is not able to emulate the attitude of the Apostle Paul here, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, brothers and sisters, may it be that God would grant you through his spirit this, this wondrous vision of the glory of Christ, that you would see it with the eyes of faith, that you might see that truly to, to die is gain, and that in seeing that, that you might live for Christ while he gives you life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we see these examples of those in the scriptures, we find, uh, Lord, that they are, they are so far beyond us in terms of their maturity in the faith. And yet, Lord, we, 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 we do not want to stay where we are. We do not want to stay in immaturity. We think of what the author of the Hebrews has written that we read this morning, that we, we ought to be able to, to mature from those who need milk to those who take strong, uh, to, 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 to take uh, solid food. Lord, we do pray that you would grant us the grace to desire Christ more and more, to be weaned from the cares of this world, that we might desire him above everything else. Lord, may it be that in beholding his glory, that the things of this world would become so dim by comparison that we would see, that we would see his radiant glory and that our hearts would be thrilled at the thought that not long for any of us, is coming a day when we will be with Christ and be able to see his glory and to know him in a way that we never have on this earth and never will be able to have on this earth until the day he returns. Lord, may thoughts of this thrill our hearts with joy and excitement and may it govern the way that we live in this life. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.